want to continue with the worship theme that we started a few weeks ago, Resurrection Power Church. It was to be a three-part series. We talked about a Resurrection Power Church as a church that's bold in its witness and in its service. And last week we talked about a Resurrection Power Church as a sharing church and a generous church always. And today we're going to talk about a Resurrection Power Church as an out-of-bounds church. And uh, we'll say more about that in just a moment. Then starting next week and for the Sundays of June, except for the second Sunday in June, June 9th is the homecoming concert for our youth choir. But on all the other Sundays in June, we're taking our worship themes from our Bible school theme this year, Going Beyond. And so next week, we'll talk about going beyond with faith. And we'll tell that old, old story of Daniel and the lion's den. And so it's a way of emphasizing the importance of Bible school, but a way also for our learning and our study and our time together to parallel what the children are learning that particular week. So I think it's a great idea. It was not mine, but I think it's a terrific idea, and uh, I'm ready to go with it. So I hope you'll be here next week, and we'll get started with Daniel and the Lion's Den. But for today, there is today, Acts chapter 8. It's a story that um, most of you have probably heard, maybe not recently, but we're going to begin with verse 26. Acts chapter 8 and verse 26. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, get up and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home. Seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you understand what you are reading? He replied, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, About whom, may I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? Then Philip began to speak. And starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Look, here's water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop. And both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he was passing through the region, he proclaimed the good news to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of God for the people of God. Quite a story, quite a story. Let's think about boundaries for a little bit. We're talking about an out-of-bounds church. What is a boundary? Something that marks or fixes a limit. Some boundaries seem to be God-ordained and others we've just sort of made up on our own as we go along. 
Both kinds of boundaries have inspired countless editorials and poems and essays and novels and songs and hymns. Eternal Father, Strong to Save is the naval hymn. My dad was a World War II Navy guy, and at his memorial service, we sang this hymn. And it's a hymn that was written in response to a boundary, Eternal Father, Strong to Save, whose arm hath bound the restless wave, who bids the mighty ocean deep its own appointed limits keep. In the book of Job, when the Lord finally gets around to answering Job, it took a while. This is part of what the Lord said. Or who sat in the seas with its doors when it burst from the womb? When it made the clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed bounds for it and bars and doors and said, thus far shall you come and no further and here shall your proud waves be stopped. God was reminding Job of who God was. Job had been through the ringer, hadn't he? And then he was surrounded by all these friends who thought they had all the answers. And somebody I read recently said that Job's friends must have all been first-year seminary students because they thought they had all the answers. And, uh, but God was telling Job, this is who I am. I am God. This is how far the ocean comes and no further. I set the bounds, eternal Father. And then there's a song about boundaries and signs that I remember from my teenage years. And we looked it up in Sunday school because I couldn't remember who it was by and I've already forgotten. But it's a song that you may remember too. The song is called Signs. And one of the stanzas in the sign said, anyone caught trespassing would be shot on sight. <laughs> so I climbed right up to the top of the fence and I yelled, hey, what gives you the right to put this fence up to keep me out or to keep Mother Nature in? If God were here, he would tell you to your face, man, you're some kind of sinner. It's a, not a hymn exactly, but the, the last stanza does have something to say about and the sign said, everyone welcome to come in and kneel down and pray. And they passed around the plate at the end of it all, and I didn't have a penny to pay, so I took out a pen and a paper, and I made up my own little sign. I said, thank you, Lord, for thinking about me. I'm alive and doing fine. So it's not exactly a hymn, but it comes a little bit close at the end. Boundaries, signs. Some of us would not cross a boundary on a dare. And other folks we know would play the entire game out of bounds if the referees weren't always watching. How many of us have sat like zombies in front of a television set on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon in the fall and watched the same instant replay 38 times trying to determine was his foot in or out of bounds when he caught the pass? Playing out of bounds. Most boundaries, though, are not as clearly defined as they are at sporting events. There you have referees and replay and all kinds of things. Take boundaries in regard to propriety. What is socially acceptable? That varies from place to place, doesn't it, in speech and in conduct. And these boundaries are not as easily detected. And we need to be careful about that. And we don't always have somebody to tell us what's socially acceptable and what's not. Not everybody has a Miss Pearl to tell them what is acceptable and, and what's not. And then I take time to consider other examples of some notorious boundary crossers. And there's a name that keeps coming up over and over again, and it's the name we name above all names, that Jesus was some kind 
a boundary crosser, wasn't he? I mean, all of his life, as a babe in arms, he crossed the boundary into the land of Egypt. We call it flight to Egypt. There was a geographical boundary just to stay alive. And as a young man, he came to John to be baptized in the Jordan River. And John felt like there was a boundary here that was being crossed, a chain of command boundary, saying, you come to me to be baptized, Lord, and I should be coming to you. Boundary crossing as a rookie preacher in his hometown synagogue in Nazareth. He crossed some boundaries about God's love and made a couple of implications, pretty strong implications, that God loves all people and not just the children of Israel. And he gave some examples about God's love for those who were outside, those who were beyond the bounds. And he so upset the congregation in his hometown that they took him out and were ready to drag him up a hill and throw him in a ditch and stone him to death. But he somehow managed, thankfully, to get away. And then, as a more seasoned preacher, a veteran preacher, in fact, Jesus crossed some of those blue law boundaries, didn't he, about what you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath day, on the holy day. Healing folks, feeding folks, caring for folks. Every time you turned around, crossing a boundary, that little unpleasantness you remember in the temple, when he crossed the boundaries of proper church, Behavior? What do you do when somebody turns tables over and runs folks out of the temple with a whip? Crossing a boundary. And as he did that, making some kind of exclamation about, my father's house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. And we still, to this day, don't we, have trouble with that little word, all Boundary crossing often carries a pretty steep price tag. Jesus was a boundary crosser and had scars to prove it. After the resurrection, just prior to the ascension, you remember when the 12 apostles minus one asked him, Lord, is this the time when you restore the kingdom to Israel? And he pretty much said, that's not your business, not for you to know, but you will be energized beyond your wildest imaginings when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. A lot of boundaries to be crossed. Translation, there are no boundaries that you won't be called across for the sake of sharing the good news, the gospel of who I am and what my love is all about. All this from the first chapter of the book of Acts and then the remaining 27 chapters in Acts have to do with boundaries being crossed. The church finding its way in the world in its infancy and of the most of all these stories, one that that gets told that we told a while ago is our, our story for today. But the book of Acts is essentially stories of boundaries being crossed in the most important, quote, game ever played. Being played out of bounds. Our scripture lesson for today, this is an out of bounds kind of story. It begins with an angel of the Lord addressing Philip. The evangelist Philip. This is not the same Philip who was one of the apostles. This is another 
Philip, a common name in that day. And guess where the angel found Philip? You know where he was when the angel found him? In Samaria, of all places, God-forsaken, despised, armpit of the universe, Samaria. That's where he was. The boundaries he had to cross to get there, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And he was just following the instructions of his boss. Get up, the angel said. There's a road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. And and the text puts in parentheses, it was a wilderness road, not an easy road to travel, in other words. And Philip does as Philip is told. And on that road, he encounters an Ethiopian eunuch. Two more boundaries. Number one, Ethiopian. Probably a black man, a racial boundary. And number two, a eunuch. He, like many other civil servants, had been castrated so he would be no threat to the queen and to her court. Jewish law forbade a castrated Jew from entering the temple and forbade a castrated male from becoming a member of Judaism, converting to Judaism. So there was a religion, there was a racial boundary and there's a theological boundary. Two things going on here. Now this treasurer for the Ethiopian queen, the guy in the chariot, was on his way home. He had been to Jerusalem and he was seated in the chariot and he was reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah, probably a scroll. Following the spirit's prompting, Philip approaches the chariot and he asks the queen's official, do you know what you're reading? And the guy said, no, I don't understand it. And Philip offers, you need some help, you need some guidance, you need some encouragement. And the guy said, come on in and and have a seat. And I'm thinking it must have been a rather large chariot. This guy was an official. There was room in there for Philip to climb in and sit down with him. When I think of chariot, the first image I get is one of those NASCAR chariots from Ben-Hur. And this must have been something sort of bigger than that. So he was on his way home. Philip climbs in there with him into this chariot that must have had all the bells and whistles, latest model of chariot available. And the passage being read that the eunuch was reading from the scroll was from Isaiah chapter 53, a passage we often read during the season of Lent. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice has been denied him Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Is the prophet talking about himself, the eunuch asked? Or is he talking about somebody else? And that cracked the door just enough for Philip to open the door and to step in. And that's what he did. And Philip began to share with him the good news about Jesus, beginning with those words from Isaiah. And the Ethiopian eunuch responded with great enthusiasm. He was ready for this, ready to hear this good news. He said, look, there's water right here. What's to keep me from being baptized? I don't know if it was running water like a stream or a small river. In scripture, running water is described as living water. It stands for the grace of God. I like to think maybe that's the case. Or maybe it was a pool of water. I'm not sure. But what's to keep me from being baptized? There's water. So Philip the evangelist and also, if you want to look up more about Philip in Acts chapter 6, where the deacons in the early church were talked about, Philip was one of those. 
But an evangelist, a bearer of good news, baptized this. And I'm thinking he must have been quite a brilliant guy. Certainly he was a trustworthy guy. He was in charge of all the queen's financial matters. Baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the sound of the water dripping off of Philip and that eunuch must have sounded just like barriers being broken like boundaries being crossed. And we hear no more from the Ethiopian eunuch. He went on his way rejoicing. I bet he was telling everybody he met what had happened to him. And Philip, it's a strange ending to the story, sort of said he found himself in Azotus, like he didn't know how he got there. Like all of a sudden, there he was. He had been reappointed by the Holy Spirit and moved before he knew what had hit him. Now, doing a little speculating now, I wonder... If this eunuch, as he continued to ride down the road in the chariot, kept reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. And I wonder if he ever got up to chapter 56. It wouldn't have said that, not in the early versions. But he got to chapter what we call chapter 56. And do not let the eunuch say, I am just a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be. Interesting words in Isaiah. An everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Well. Playing the game out of bounds. As individuals and as believers together as the church, should we, could we, would we play this game out of bounds in order to share the good news of Jesus Christ with other folk? Should we? Witnessing across boundaries has always been risky. Should we risk being rejected? Should we risk offending someone? Or should we just keep this good news to ourselves? Jim Fleming, one of my favorite, maybe he's influenced me more than any other teacher I've ever been around. He runs the Biblical History Center in the Grange and spent a lot of time in Israel. But he told about an interfaith conference where there were folks there, there were Christians and Jews and Muslims and others there. And when it was time for the Christian representative to stand up and tell a little bit about his faith, he did so. But he never mentioned the name of Jesus. It was like he didn't want to offend anybody or upset anybody. And when he had completed his presentation, a Jewish rabbi stood up and asked, don't you people have something you call the Great Commission? Should we witness across boundaries? If so, then we can do that, but we must do it with love and respect and no arrogance and no judgment. Simply tell the story. It's important that we listen carefully to others if we expect them to listen to us. It's important that we look for Jesus Christ already at work in the lives of these other folk. Dr. Thomas Tongaraj taught for several years at the Candler School of Theology. He was a professor of international Christian missions. I believe he's retired now. But he said this one day, he was talking about Mother Teresa. He said, can anybody deny she was a missionary? She was the greatest missionary, he said. And he was from India as well. She always said, I don't 
take Christ to other people. I look for Christ in other people. I believe that we should both tell the story of Jesus and look for Jesus in other people. Should we witness across boundaries? I should say so. Could we witness across boundaries? Yeah, of course. But we need to know our stuff. We need to grow in our faith. Be sure of what we believe and know about Jesus. John Wesley once said, let your words be a genuine picture of your heart. A picture might paint a thousand words. Do our words paint a picture of what our heart is really like? Could we, based on heart knowledge, proclaim the good news of Jesus to someone else. In our passage for today, the writer Luke uses the expression an angel of the Lord and the spirit of the Lord interchangeably. Are we in prayerful enough touch with the Holy Spirit to be reassured, to hear the Spirit's promptings about where and who and when and what to say, what to do? Could we witness across boundaries? We could if we would, would we? Witnessing across boundaries requires great willingness and it does require courage. What's up with our willingness these days to tell the gospel story? What's the current reading on our courage meter? How are we doing? How concerned are we with unbelievers, for lack of a better term? One of the current terms is pre-Christian and I like that term. Pre-Christian, a term I'm familiar with and, and maybe you are too, those who are seeking Jesus and might not even know it, probably don't know it, not aware of what's going on with their search. The healthiest and most effective churches, I believe, on this planet are those who are more concerned with those who are not there yet. Would we cross boundaries to tell the story of Jesus? If Philip and others like him had not been willing to play the game out of bounds, we wouldn't be here today. I'm not sure where you would be. I'm not sure where I would be. It wouldn't be here. And I know I mentioned it earlier. That Jesus was one major league boundary crosser, wasn't he? Oh, sorry. I meant, isn't he? Amen.